Psalm 1 is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And it's one of my favorites because of the wisdom that it gives and the promise that it offers to us as the people of God. Listen to these first two verses of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I don't know about you, but anytime I hear that psalm read, my ears perk up because of that word blessed. That, that word blessed stirs something within me. It reveals a, a deep longing in my heart that I'm guessing all of us have because I think it's part of God's design. We desire to live in the blessing of God. We desire to live in the favor of God, especially as his people. And so when we hear that promise, blessed is the man, we want to know how. How is it that we can be described that way? How can we live in that sort of blessing? Well, the psalmist tells us that kind of blessing, in order to live in that kind of blessing, you have to delight in the law of the Lord. You have to meditate on it. You have to walk in it. And when you do, you will find the favor of God. Now, by the law, that typically means the, the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch. But I think we can apply that principle to the whole Bible, the whole revealed word of God. Because what makes the first five books of the Bible special is what makes all the books of the Bible special as we'll talk about more through the course of this time together this morning. So when we delight in the word of God, there's a blessing attached to it. God pours his favor on those who delight on the word of God. And this relationship is upheld throughout the Old Testament and indeed all of scripture. There's this promise. When you delight in the law of the Lord, you find favor from the Lord himself. And this morning, as we move into Ezra chapter 7, we find a biblical character who is the embodiment of this, who, who shows us the guarantee of this promise. And unsurprisingly, the character's name is Ezra. What is surprising, though, is that this is the first time we've met Ezra. I mean, he's, he's not showed up in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. He doesn't come on the scene until Ezra chapter 7. And that's because in Ezra 7, a, a transition is taking place. We've, we've jumped ahead 57 years in the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. So just imagine if you're watching the, the movie Ezra, the, the screen is faded to black, and at the bottom there are these white letters that say 57 years later. And that's where we are. And a lot's happened. There's a new king on the throne of Persia whose name is Artaxerxes. We've already encountered him once, you may remember, in chapter 4. We read his letter in which he instructed the, the work on the temple be suspended. And this is likely some beautification work since the structure was already completed by the time that Artaxerxes was on the throne. But something's happened to Artaxerxes. And in chapter 7, he's not discouraging the work at all. In fact, now he's encouraging the work on the temple. And it all has to do with his interaction with this guy named Ezra. So who's Ezra? So we find that the answer to that question in the first 10 verses of Ezra 7. He was the son of a guy named Sariah, who himself was a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Aaron, you may remember, was the first chief priest 
set apart by God for this honorable role among the people of God. And Ezra is a descendant of him. He's in the family of Moses. Beyond that, he's also skilled in the law of Moses, as we see in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. Apparently, even in Babylonia, even in exile, some Jewish people remained faithful to study the Pentateuch, the Torah, and to teach it according to the, the very command that God gave this people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and other places, to remember the promises of God and to teach them diligently to their, their families and the people. And Ezra had benefited from this. He had, he had learned the, the writings of his faith. And God had also given him a unique aptitude to understand them and apply them for the good of his people. He had been given great wisdom from God. And that wisdom led to favor, even from a pagan king whose name was Artaxerxes. So the favor of God was placed upon Ezra, and that favor from God led to favor from this pagan king. Now, that's not unusual in God's story. We see it many times in the story of the Old Testament, where God raises up men in the midst of exile or, or foreign nations who are gifted with godly wisdom to accomplish God's larger redemptive purposes. Joseph and Daniel are two examples here, right? Both of them were considered to be wise men, uniquely given by God to solve logistical problems and interpret dreams. And as a result, both Joseph and Daniel receive favor from powerful rulers who are then used by God to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And the same is true here. Ezra is noticed by man because he is made noticeable by God. He has given him his favor. And the favor of God is what makes him noticeable to this king. And all of this to accomplish God's larger redemptive purposes. So the king grants Ezra whatever it is that he asks for, according to the Bible. And God uses this favor to accomplish his work of restoration. So this king who was against the rebuilding of the temple, or at least the furnishing in the temple at one point, is now sending more exiles back from Babylonia, along with a, a host of resources to finish the work that they began. And the favor that Artaxerxes extends to Ezra is noted in a letter that he gives to him outlined in chapter 7, verses 11 to 26. And just listen to a moment to some of the things that Artaxerxes commands to benefit Ezra and the people of God. Again, all under the sovereign orchestration of God. He assigns Ezra the task of teaching the law of God to his people and calls on any who disobey the law of God, the God of Israel, to be judged by God. That's in verse 26 of chapter 7. He asks him to appoint, according to God's law again, ministers and servants who would lead the worship of God among the people of God. He gives Ezra silver and gold to use as he sees fit, according to the wisdom of God, including furnishing the temple. So there's more there, but this is incredible favor from a pagan king. But remember, it's all the result of God first giving his favor to Ezra. Artaxerxes is simply doing exactly what God wants him to do. Just like Cyrus, 
just like Darius, this Persian king is an instrument of God's sovereign purposes. Moved to be about this work through his relationship with Ezra and through Ezra's relationship with God. And we see Ezra stating this in Ezra chapter 7, verses 27 to 28. Listen to what Ezra says here in these these verses. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Now I want to get back to that truth that we talked about, introduced to us in Psalm chapter 1, but that truth that's present in all the Bible. Because it's echoed here in Ezra chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. And that truth again is that blessing comes on the people of God when they delight in the word of God, or the law of the Lord. Now in verse 9, we see evidence of blessing. Again, chapter 7, verse 9. What's the blessing? On the first day of the first month, Ezra began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. So notice, the blessing of God is displayed in the life of Ezra because he had safe and speedy travels. It's favor language. He had good weather. He had a good mule or whatever it is he was riding on to get from Babylonia back to Jerusalem. His his travel was easy. He was safe on his journey, all because the Lord protected him. And we see that in chapter 8, verses 21 to 23, where Ezra says, I proclaimed proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children and our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So he fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And so, speedy, safe travel. Now, why? Why is God favoring Ezra? Why has he placed his hand upon him? Well, verse 10 tells us. The hand of God was on him for, because Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Ezra was blessed because he delighted in the Lord. The promise of Psalm 1 on display in the life of Ezra. And God will use that blessing, use that favor to extend it to the whole of God's people. That's what happens in the ministry of Ezra, as we will see. So there's this relationship, this biblically established relationship between delighting in the law of the Lord and having the favor of God, obeying the word of God and receiving the blessing of God. So how is it that Ezra delighted in the Lord? How do we know that Ezra delighted in the Lord and in order? 
to receive the blessing of God? How, how did he evidence his delight in the Lord in a way that brought about the favor of God? Well, there's three actions, three characteristics of Ezra's delighting in the Lord. Again, all there in verse 10. Three ways that he showed his delight. Firstly, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Ezra recognized the, the central importance of the law for God's people. This law was written by a unique prophet for God's people. His name was Moses. More importantly, though, it was given to Moses by God himself. It was a, a declaration of, of who God was and who God is. It set the parameters for a relationship with him of the ground rules for this covenant interaction with him. It was access, divinely given access to God himself. He would be their God and they would be his people so long as they obeyed his commandments, so long as they honored the covenant. God promised them. We see this in Deuteronomy 11 verses 26 and 27. When you obey my commandments, when you walk according to the covenant, You'll have blessing. But when you disobey, there will be judgment. There will be curse. So even in exile, Ezra is learning about this. He's, God's provided him faithful teachers who are teaching him the reality of God's word and the blessing of God's word and, and the requirements for walking in covenant relationship with him. And as he's looking back over this exile, as he considers the judgment of God, the curse of God on his people, because of their disobedience, he says, man, I think God's taking this obedience stuff pretty seriously. And maybe I should too. Maybe I should make it my mission to know what God expects from me, to walk in covenant faithfulness so that I can enjoy the, the blessing of this relationship, not only for my own good, but for the, the good of God's redemptive purposes. And so that's what Ezra does. He studies the scriptures diligently, but he also did more than that. He set his heart to do the law of the Lord. That's the second evidence of his delighting in the law of the Lord. Not only did he study it, he did it. Ezra wasn't just seeking empty knowledge. He wasn't just going to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and just letting that knowledge puff him up. He was learning in order to live. He was learning in order to love the God the law was revealing so that he could live in a way that honored him. He truly wanted to know what God expected of him so that he could live in a way that honored him, to be used by God, to be a blessing to others and experience his blessing himself along the way. See, delighting in the law leads to living out the law. Delighting in the word of God leads to living out the word of God. Because the law reveals God, moves us to love God, and then in turn to live for God. Remember, that's the larger point, right? The covenant that God made with his people had a purpose. God wanted to bless them and then, and then through them, bless all other nations. These people were to be a light in the midst of a very dark world. They were collectively to embody what we see in the life of Ezra. They were to walk in obedience, receive the favor of God, and then catch the attention of the world. 
They were to cause people to see the goodness of the God of Israel and reject their foolish idols in favor of him. Their obedience to the law was meant to lead to a noticeable set-apartness, a holiness that could serve the, the larger redemptive purposes of God. At the same time, though, God could not abide disobedience. When the nation of Israel looked like everyone else, they, they testified falsely about their God. Their lack of uniqueness suggested a lack of uniqueness in the God who attached himself to them, and God would not abide that. Ezra knows this. He knows what God expects, and he knows why God expects it. And he is evidence of God's faithfulness to his promise. Blessing for obedience, curse and judgment for disobedience. Ezra, while not perfect, set his heart to not only study the law, but to do the word, to to be obedient to the law. And God blesses him. He puts his hand upon him and people take notice. Artaxerxes takes notice and God uses that for his redemptive purposes. And then God uses Ezra to further the work of restoration in his people. Ezra sets his heart to teach the law of the Lord. That's the third way that Ezra displays his delight in the law of the Lord. He sets his heart to study it, to do it, and then to teach it, to, to share it among his people. What Ezra has learned and experienced firsthand, he wants to share with his people. He wants them to, to see what God has spoken. He wants them to delight in it. And he wants them to live in the blessing that comes with it. He didn't have to worry about losing blessing. God's blessings are infinite. So there's plenty to share. And he wants his people to be able to live in the blessing that he is living in. And not just again for their good, but the good of the whole world, just as God designed. He is able to teach them because he's experienced it firsthand. His knowledge has been affirmed through experience, living under the goodness of God. He's, He's learned it, he's done it, and he's seen that what God has said is true. When you live according to the word of God, when you live according to the law of God, blessing will come. God has done a work in Ezra through his word that has led to blessing. And God wants to do that work in his people through Ezra. The work that God has done in Ezra is overflowing now to a work that will be done in all of his people. And that's an important biblical truth for us to remember. The work of God among his people is always accomplished by the word of God. And that's why this teaching moment is so important. The word of God did a work in Ezra, and now he is teaching the people of God so that the the work that was done in him can be shared throughout the people. So God raises him up to teach this people so that the, the word can do its work. And how does it do that? How does the word of God do its work among the people of God as it's taught? Remember, The word of God stirs a love for God. That's one of the works that God does in his people through his word. You see, the word reveals the character of God. It shows the the faithfulness of God to his promises. There are so many things about God that we would never know about him if he hadn't graciously revealed himself through his word. There's so many things that he has done for us that we would not know that he did 
if he had not revealed his hand in the midst of those actions on our behalf. The word of God does that for us. It shows us who God is. It shows us what he has done for us and stirs a love in us for him. That only happens through the word. The word of God reminds us of the need that we have for God. It tells us how we got into the sin mess to begin with and how God alone can rescue us from it. In the Old Testament, it showed God's people the provision that he made for them in the sacrificial system, how they could atone for their rebellion and have some access to the presence of God. And it shows us the culmination of that sacrifice in Jesus Christ. The word of God establishes an order for us, an example for us to live and the, to live by in the midst of this chaos it teaches us how to live here until God permanently undoes the curse that was put on this world because of sin. Providing us as a people an example of how to live in a set-apart way for the glory of God. So, so God sends Ezra to teach the law, to do a new work in his people, just as he has done in Ezra himself. You see, as Ezra comes back to the land of promise, and teaches the people. The people not only return with him physically, their hearts also return to the Lord. So the wisdom of God is on display here, right? Delighting in the law leads to a blessing from God. The obedience to the law leads to the favor of God. So the question we have to wrestle with now is how does this promise applied to us on this side of the work of Christ? What is the relationship in our delighting in the word to our blessing? What is, what is the relationship between our obedience and the blessing of God on this side of Christ? And I think it's very important for us to spend some time here because there can be some confusion if we're not careful. So let me just offer two unchanging truths that we need to hold to before we answer this question. Of, of how our obedience matters, our delighting in the law matters on this side of Christ. Okay, so firstly, first unchanging truth, our obedience does not determine our status. So favor is different from status. That's the first truth. Notice God's people are God's people regardless of whether or not they're walking in his favor. They're still his people when they're in judgment. In fact, God's judgment is a testament to his continued faithfulness to the covenant that he has made with them. He's promised them that if, this, if they disobeyed, this would happen. And they disobeyed. So it's happening. Now they're, they're under the curse. They're under judgment. So I think it's really important to understand that our, our obedience does not define our status before God as being a part of his people or not. The people of Israel were God's people, not because they were the strongest, not because they were the best, not because they were obedient. They were God's people because he chose them to be. He called them to himself. He formed them. He made a covenant with them. Not because of anything that they did, but because of his own good pleasure to accomplish a larger redemptive work for the good of the whole world. And this, this same truth is is true for us today. Our status before God in terms of being a part of his people is not dependent upon our obedience. 
God has saved us not because of our work, not because we deserved it, but because he chose to. He has graciously called us to himself to do a work in us and through us for his glory. Salvation always belongs to God. He determines our status. And that salvation was accomplished through the obedience of Christ. So, our status, not based on our obedience, but the obedience of Jesus. But, secondly, big truth number two. That does not mean that our obedience is unimportant in the plan of God. God's sovereign calling and His grace to us as His people does not mean that we can choose to live however we want. Our obedience is part of the plan, and actually it reveals our status before God. Delighting in the law of the Lord, such that we do it and we teach it, is part of God's design for those that he's called to himself. God doesn't choose us because of our obedience, but he does choose us for obedience. He's, he's got works that he's prepared for us beforehand even though he saved us by grace through faith, according to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And this is so important for us to recognize. There's, there's a debate. There's a lot of debate going on right now about the place of obedience in the life of the Christian because we are a, a people of grace. The, the covenant with Christ, this new covenant in Christ, is a covenant of grace. But that doesn't mean that we have no moral responsibility before the Lord. That there aren't requirements for us to live in a holy and righteous way. In fact, our continued disobedience could be an alarm to show that we're not really a part of God's people because obedience is so key to being a part of God's people, even in the New Testament. You see, the teaching of the Bible is that sin has limited our ability to delight in the, the law of the Lord because it's limited our ability to delight in the Lord himself. And even for God's people in the Old Testament, even within the sacrificial system, even within the covenant, there was a limit to how much they could enjoy God. There was a, a limit to the blessing they could receive from him because sin was present in their heart. There was a limit to their obedience because they were ultimately slaves to sin. The work of Christ, though, has radically changed that. He freed those who are in him from the bondage of sin so that now we can be slaves of righteousness instead of slaves of unrighteousness. Jesus delighted perfectly in the law. He knew it because he authored it. He did it, all of it, and he taught it. Not only speaking it, but writing it on our hearts. And now his work enables us to be obedient in ways that we were never able to be obedient before. His obedience leads to our obedience. And a true transforming encounter with Christ should lead us to delight in the word of God as never before because we have met the word of God incarnate. The whole purpose of the word of God is to get access to God, to know who he is and to see what he's done for us. And that has never been more revealed to us than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the work that he has done in Christ has even further revealed everything else that he's unveiled and the rest of his written word. 
So now that we can know God in greater ways, we can love God in greater ways. And because of Christ, we can obey God in greater ways. So in this way, the Bible is presenting Jesus as the greater Ezra, who accomplishes a greater work of restoration within God's people, leading them to a place where they can be the kind of people that God has desired for himself all along. His, his obedience, again, enables our obedience, true obedience that leads to greater blessing. Okay, so in light of those two great truths, those big truths that favor is different than status, and our status is not determined by our obedience, but the obedience of Christ, right? And that doesn't mean that our obedience doesn't matter, that there is a blessing underneath the greater blessing of salvation that we can enjoy when we do walk in obedience. And then God uses that for his larger redemptive purposes. So in light of those two larger truths, how do we answer the question now of how our obedience or how obedience is still related to the law of the Lord today? So let me just offer two lessons or two declarations about the relationship between obedience and blessing on this side of Christ from Ezra chapter 7 and 8. First, we recognize that the obedience of Christ has led to our greatest blessing, salvation. The first thing that we have to acknowledge as God's people on this side of Christ is that the greatest work of obedience in relationship to the law was the work of Christ. And that work has secured the greatest blessing that we could hope for. His obedience has provided the blessing that we are longing for, right? Blessed is the man who walks in the way of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord, who meditates on his, his, Lord, his word day and night. We, we want that blessing, but we could not do that work. Not fully. There was always a limitation, but Christ has done that for us. And he has generously extended that blessing for all of those people who have called upon him for salvation. Those who are his people, he is now sharing the blessing with for our good. Jesus was uniquely favored, uniquely blessed because he was perfectly obedient. And the favor we now have before God as his adopted children co-heirs with Christ, is entirely the result of God's work in Jesus. His obedience to the law has led to our ability to live eternally in the favor of God. Now listen, God raised up Ezra in Ezra 7 and 8. In his time, in the lineage of Aaron and Moses, with the specific gifts that God gave to Ezra, to lead his people back to him and to, and to share the blessing, the favor that God had placed upon him with the whole of God's people. But Ezra could not do that work permanently. And there was a limit to how much of that blessing he could share. That is not true with Jesus. Jesus has done permanently what Ezra could not do. And his obedience has led to our blessing if we are in Christ. So that's the first thing that we have to acknowledge in terms of the relationship between obedience and favor. The greatest display of God's favor is salvation. And Christ's obedience has led us to be able to enjoy that fruit of salvation. But secondly, 
we also acknowledge and see that God has provided additional blessings related to our own obedience within the greater work of Christ. Let me say that again. We see that God has provided additional blessings related to our own obedience within the greater work of Christ. So even though salvation is solely God's work through Christ, there are blessings to be had as God's people as we walk in devotion to the world. Now, the word. Now, maybe secondary as compared to salvation, but certainly important. As we delight in the word and we study it, as we as we seek to live as Christ in the empowerment of the Spirit, as we strive to be good citizens of God's kingdom, there are blessings to be had. There are blessings that we can enjoy and that are the direct result of our obedience in Christ. We can have joy, as we discussed last week. We can have peace. We can have satisfaction because we can now have access to the presence of God through his word. The more we walk in holiness, the more we delight in the word and the the access it gives us to God, who he is, what he has done, walk in the holiness that gives us even more access to the, the Lord, the more we walk in that holiness, the more we get to enjoy the presence of God. And there's no greater blessing than that, friends. God uses this enjoyment in the Word, this work in us. He uses this this favor as an instrument of His greater work through us. So we get to benefit, we get to receive the blessing of God through Christ and through our obedience in Christ. And then the Lord uses that favor to catch the attention of the people around us. And when they see that we have something that they're longing for, that blessing that God has all designed us to seek after, they inevitably ask the question, what do they have that I don't have? Because I want that. I need that. I was created for that. And when they ask, we get to tell them. We get to teach them. So the blessing spreads as people step into the obedience of Christ. And has there ever been a more important time for this kind of devotion to the word than now? Has there ever been a more important time to evidence joy, peace, satisfaction to a world in need of all three. When we walk in obedience, when we walk in favor, when we delight in the word of God, a blessing. A blessing is poured out upon us that God uses to call others to himself, to see the greater work of blessing that God has done for them in Christ. So, Like Ezra, we should study the word so that it stirs our hearts to love and obedience. We should strive to do the word after the example of Christ in the empowerment of the spirit. And we should strive to teach the word for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the good of the world who is to be blessed through us as God's chosen people and stewards of the gospel of grace. Now, not all the law applies to us in the same way. And we don't have to be obedient in the same way that the Old Testament people of God did. 
abiding by all the the cultic requirements of their worship. But there is still benefit in obeying the moral requirements of God. There's still benefit in walking after holiness, seeking holiness, specifically in the example of Christ. So look to him, study him, delight in him, and teach others about him, and see the blessing God pours out upon you. And the way he uses that blessing to call others to himself. So, have you trusted in God's work through Jesus? Have you allowed his obedience to bring you the greatest blessing mankind could ever know? Salvation. If so, are you delighting in the word? Are you living after the example of Christ for the glory of God? Are you teaching it? Your obedience matters. Again, not necessarily in terms of your salvation, although it can be an acknowledgement of it or a, a clue, a key, a revealing factor of it. But in terms of God's greater work that he has been about since creation began. If we are delighting in Jesus, we should delight in, in disobedience. And if we don't, And the question is, what are we delighting in? Because it will not bring blessing. It will bring a curse. And if you haven't trusted God's word, if you haven't delighted in Jesus and received that blessing, would today be the day that you would repent and believe in him alone for salvation and receive, step into the ultimate blessing of God to be used by him for his glorious purposes. Oh, church. May we be a people who delight in the word of God. May we be a people who walk in the favor of God for his glory, following the direction of the greater Ezra, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for the gift of your word that helps us know you and what you've done for us. Thank you for the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, who has secured our greatest blessing, salvation, so that those of us who are in him can now walk in obedience as you have called us to for your glory and our good. Father, we still want the blessing, but more than that, we want you because you are where true blessing is found and that is only available to us through Christ. But as we encounter you, As we know you more, may we seek to honor you with how we live after the example of Christ, delighting in the word, obeying it, studying it, teaching it for your glory to accomplish your greater redemptive purposes around the world. Help us to be a people who are blessed to be a blessing. Remain faithful to this work. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.